Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift, for the blessing, and for the great honor it is, Lord God, to be given this day. To be given this and afforded this opportunity to come into your presence. To lift up our voices together and to praise you. To join together our hearts and our voices and our minds and our spirits, Lord, to worship you. We thank you, Lord God, for this blessing of allowing us into our presence. And we pray that you would speak today to us. Lord, that you would speak uniquely and powerfully to each and every one of us, that we would have your presence and your love and mercy revealed to us, Lord. And we pray that you would open up our hearts, open up our hearts to receive you. And Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your word and give me your words to proclaim to your people today, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. It is so great to see you all today. I brought with me this industrial-sized container of hand sanitizer, right? I know everyone's excited about this, but hand sanitizer has really taken over the Western world, hasn't it? I mean, there was no hand sanitizer like 15 years ago or something, and then suddenly it is something that everyone needs to have. You can have one in your car, at your home, you can have one in your... What's that? On your keychain, on your purse, hanging on a handy belt tote clip for tactical purposes, right? You've got these things all over the place. You go to the hospital, they're in between every door, right? Hand sanitizer. It is pretty remarkable stuff. But it does, despite its remarkableness, it has some limitations, doesn't it? Uh, one of the big limitations is it says here, for external use only, Right? And if you've ever put this on your hands when you have an open wound, like a cut or a scratch, you know why. Right? You know why. This thing will wake you up in a hot second. Right? If you put that on your hands and you've got a cut. External use only hands. I like that it says hands, too. In case you're trying to use it as like an aftershave or something. I don't know what else you're doing with it. So, um, what's that? It's flammable, too. Yeah, we use it in our uh, Easter vigil service. I put it all over the, um, the fire to light the first light of Easter. It makes it really easy to do that. It's better than gasoline in that way. Less dangerous. Right? But it's not for internal use. Not for internal use. And also, if your hands are really dirty, does this help? Like if they're covered in like dirt or grit? It makes it clean mud, right? That's what you end up with, is clean mud in the end. It doesn't really completely clean you. right? So it has some weaknesses, but uh, it is something that is remarkable and powerful, and whenever you go on a field trip with kids at school, right, they're always dousing the kids' hands with that before eating. Why would they do that? Germs. Germs, that's right, germs, because... For us, we feel that it's an important thing to keep our hands clean before eating. Does everyone like to wash their hands or to clean their hands? Ray doesn't. So I like I personally like to have clean hands, but 
But I can understand. I can understand. And it is, that's a real theme that's going on here in our gospel passage for today. A disagreement about what is necessary before one eats or prepares himself for a meal. And there's a deeper subtext under that as well. Now, contextually, in our Gospel of Mark, uh, we are in a section in which Jesus has been proclaiming the good news. The good news in villages, cities, and in the countryside. So all over, Jesus has been out proclaiming the good news of his salvation. Uh, his words have been supported by acts of power, things like walking on water, healing the sick just by them touching the fringe of his garment as he walks by and the feeding of the 5,000. These are amazing signs and wonders that show that Jesus Christ has power over this world and that his words are true because he backs them up with these miraculous events. And this has been an amazingly successful campaign for Jesus. Uh, He has been greeted by crowds everywhere he goes. But our chapter begins with a new event. A group of Pharisees and scribes have come out from corporate to check on Jesus and to see what he is all about. They've heard of his success, and they want to see what's going on. Now, what kind of attitude do people who are on a mission like this typically come, like these Pharisees and scribes? What kind of attitude do you think they might have? Negative, right? Suspicious. They're looking for something wrong, right? So you might say they're skeptical or critical. Biased, Biased, right? Immediately already prejudiced about what might be happening. They want to like maybe unmask the charlatan, kind of pull back the curtain in the Wizard of Oz, right? And you can see this. Yeah, pious too. You can see this right away. Oh, biased you said? Pious. Pious and biased too. There we go, yes. The passage tells us, when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, around Jesus, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. Now, I'm not sure what kind of reports had been coming across the wire in Jerusalem, but I'm pretty sure that they weren't sent out to investigate the hygiene of the disciples. Do you think that was the central part of their mission? No, what kind of things do you think they were hearing in Jerusalem about Jesus? Doing good, making them look bad, right? Healing the sick. Working on the Sabbath. Yeah, in certain ways, proclaiming a message of salvation, right? Teaching and preaching. What's that? The kingdom of God, proclaiming the kingdom of God. That's right. Absolutely. Giving the people the hope that they should have been as leaders, been sharing with the people. That's right. It's those kind of things. And so you think when they come out, they would be investigating those things, right? You think they'd come out and look at, oh, what is he doing? What is he saying? Uh, Let's look at these miracles. Are they really taking place? Who's been affected by him? Who's following him? But instead... They miss out on all those tremendous and remarkable ways that the kingdom of God was breaking through in Jesus' ministry. They miss all that stuff. And what do they see? Dirty hands. Dirty hands. hands. That's it. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having an opportunity to witness the ministry of Jesus Christ and all you notice is the grit underneath the fingernails of the disciples? 
Sad, huh? It's sad. And so they ask him, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Now, we are not sure of the context, but some translators or interpreters believe that they were sitting around a table eating guacamole at this moment, and that Peter had been picking at his toes and then dipped into the chips with his hand right after. We're not entirely sure, but we think that's probably the context. I'm just joking. We have no idea exactly what's going on. Instead, though, we are given some background editorial information from Mark, which is helpful because we don't live in the same context. We don't come from the same world. We come from the world of where washed hands mean something to us, or unwashed hands. But we don't understand what they're talking about because it doesn't seem to be just whether they've got their hands clean or not before the meal. There's more to it. There's, there's a spiritual level that we're missing out in their disagreement with the way his disciples are behaving. The passage tells us, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, like washing of cup, cups, pots, and bronze kettles. Now, now, this is not that they just wash things after dinner, right? This is talking about that the Pharisees and all the Jews, according to this passage, had taken on an act of like ceremonial preparation for all the things that they, they used in their life. They had taken what God had spoken about preparation for entering into his presence and becoming ceremonially clean and making those things ready, those elements and implements that would be used there, and they applied it to more of their life than God intended for them to apply it to. And they made it a rule and a law for themselves that this is how everyone needs to behave. This is how people need to behave. So the issue is not that the disciples have dirty hands, but rather that they're not following the tradition of the elders. Those traditions were not biblical things, but rather derivatives of the commandments that were applied to the people's lives in various and sundry ways. Before these scribes and Pharisees, these traditions of the elders were like the commandments of God. And they were judging the ministry of Jesus on these rules. Is Jesus patient with them in his response? No, he's not. He'll have none of this. He says, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites, which is not the way I typically begin a conversation. It doesn't work out very well for me, but I'm not Jesus. He's got this ability to do that. He says, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. The scribes and Pharisees honored God with their lips. What does that mean? They talked about it, right? They talked a good talk. But their hearts were far away from God. They said all the right things. They did all the right things it looked like on the outside to make everyone satisfied that they really had a deep faith. But on the inside, they were a whitewashed tomb, as Jesus says of them. They had abandoned the word of God and relationship with God 
to hold on to human traditions. Is this a good trade? Not a good trade at all. But that's what they've done. Now, our narrative then skips some verses which explain exactly how they had used the human tradition to break the law of God. Uh, But for us, we jump to the end to Jesus' explanation about what he's talking about. And in his words, he endears himself to every kid who despises washing his hands or her hands before a meal. And he says to me, listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile. But the things that come out are what defile. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. Fornication, theft, murder, (coughs) adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. He explains that it's not dirty hands that make you dirty. It's not the way you prepare your hands or your body before you eat that makes you dirty. It's what comes from inside of a person that makes us dirty. Our world, like their world, is an external world. Right? We obsess over foods and drinks and diets and workout trends and clothing and appearance and the shape of our eyebrows and germs and forget about the inside. We think if we get all those other things together, if I just get my life together in this way, everything will be perfect. Is that true? No. No. No way. That's the way to end up broken and crushed. Trying to control the outside circumstances in our life and think it's going to fix the inside. It doesn't work that way. And this anxiety, this focus on the external elements of life, seems to only be increasing with the expanded access we give others into our lives through social media and other things. We feel like we're on display all the time. The world is always watching and judging. But none of that, none of those things, no getting it together on the outside is going to clean up, is going to make us clean or dirty inside, spiritually. And that seems to be his point. Jesus is not really arguing about hygiene. He is arguing about our souls. He is arguing about our souls. Therefore, it is what comes out of us that defiles us. And according to Jesus, what comes out of us is fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. Is this a complete list? No, No. No, they left off some of mine too. (laughs) Right? There are many, many more yucky things that come out of us. And how much hand sanitizer does it take to clean all that up? How much hand sanitizer? The problem is with hand sanitizer, it's for external use only. It can't deal with the inside. This is really the predicament that Lady Macbeth found herself in. Right? When she was trying to clean up the blood stain, the blood stain in the castle. 
And she was working and working, trying to clean up that stain. But could she? There was no way she could. Shakespeare understood something about the human heart. He understood that as much as we want to scrub, as much as we want to clean up our image, as much as we want to wipe out previous stains, there is only one way to deal with the stain of sin. There is only one way to clean it. There is only one way to cap off that spring of effluvia, which is the human heart. That only way is through relationship with Jesus Christ. The one who came not only to reveal sin, not only to to reveal to us the broken pathways that we are walking on, but also to reveal to us a new way, a way of life, a way of healing, a way of redemption and forgiveness and cleansing and peace. Today, through his words to those scribes and Pharisees, we are given a life-transforming opportunity to examine our own hearts, to examine where we are putting our energy, to examine where we are putting our hope and our focus. Are we following the way of the world and trying to fix the outside and hoping somehow it will cure the inside? Are we just painting over dry rot? Or are we willing to turn to Christ, to confess our sin to him, and to be redeemed, and to have our broken heart be replaced with a beautiful heart of flesh, a heart which yearns for God to serve him and to love him? Now, this call is not merely something we respond to once in our lives, right? For me, it's not something I did when I was 17 and turned over my life to Jesus Christ. This call is something we respond to every day because we still wrestle with these challenges, with the challenges of fornication, theft, murder, adultery, da-da-da-da-da. It still is there and it still is a struggle. And so daily, we turn over our death to him. And receive from him his life. May we do this today. And find our lives and our hope and our joy restored in him. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the gift and blessing of your word. Thank you for the way, Lord, that you challenged the Pharisees and the scribes. And did not let them sit in their broken thinking. Lord, but that you challenged them to a different way. To not merely polish the decks on the Titanic, Lord, but to actually find the source of the problem and to seek a cure in you. Help us, Lord God, to do this. To do this as well. Give us the strength and the boldness and the bravery, Lord, to look into our own hearts, to see the blackness therein, and to allow you to shine your light into those places. Lord, transform our lives. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.